Good morning. It's Wednesday, June 2nd. I'm Duarte Geraldino. And I'm Shamita Basu. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. In May, a 71-year-old man and two other people were at a Home Depot in Atlanta's Buckhead neighborhood. When they were shot, they were caught in the crossfire of a fight. Two days later, someone took aim and killed a man inside the bathroom of a nearby nightclub. These incidents underscore a violent trend. Atlanta police data shows homicides are up nearly 60% so far this year. Rape, assault, and car theft are also up more than 30%. And this increase in crime has a lot of people in Buckhead wanting to break away from Atlanta. And they're not saying they want to move away. They actually want to break apart from the rest of the city. The Washington Post has this reporting. Some residents of this wealthy, mostly white neighborhood want to form a new city where they can control their tax dollars and police themselves. According to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, if Buckhead were to break away, it would become a city that is three-quarters white with an annual median income of $140,000. And it would take with it 40 percent of Atlanta's real estate wealth. What would be left of Atlanta would have a higher concentration of black people, 59 percent, and the median income would fall to $52,000 a year from 60. And without Buckhead's tax base, it might be harder for the city to pay its bills, including hiring more police officers. That's making people like Stephanie Flowers angry. She oversees a group of neighborhood associations in some predominantly black areas of Atlanta. She told The Post that a Buckhead city would just be a way to separate people who have money from people who don't. There's a word for this movement. It's called cityhood. An increasing number of communities are trying to break away from larger cities in the American South in particular. Residents in a predominantly white neighborhood of Baton Rouge, for example, recently voted to break away from that city. One Emory University political scientist tells The Post, arguments for cityhood sound a lot like those made in the 1950s and 60s against desegregation. But it has been more than a half century since that era. The issue is more complex these days. Although Buckhead is mostly white, it has a sizable minority population. Black resident Quint Jordan tells The Post he'll probably support a new Buckhead city because he's tired of hearing gunfire. Your flexible hours, your hazard pay... All the things that businesses did to help workers during the pandemic might be going away soon. That's the take from a new Vox report about how many workplaces, from offices to restaurants to supermarkets, are getting ready for a big return to normal. The way Vox put it, bosses are acting like the pandemic never happened. Many people who hold office jobs were fortunate enough to be able to work from home when the lockdown started. For some, the time we spent typing away at home could be frustrating, but there were some good parts. You could use the time you saved commuting to exercise or to get some of those household chores done. But now, more and more companies are calling their workers back to offices. Vox lays out what several CEOs are saying and doing. Some of them are dismissive of the flexibility that workers got used to during the pandemic. Many are saying they want employees back at their desks by September or October. Grocery and restaurant workers, they didn't have the option to work from home. 
The face-to-face contact they had with customers and their colleagues made their jobs more dangerous. During the worst of the pandemic, a lot of companies recognized this. They offered hazard pay and hero bonuses. That helped essential workers keep doing their jobs. But now, Vox explains, many retailers have stopped giving hazard pay. And some restaurants are trying to get people to come back to work at the same pay rates from before the pandemic. Unsurprisingly, many former restaurant workers are deciding not to go back. Even if some companies are trying to roll back pay and benefits, they don't hold all the cards. As Vox points out, many workers have leverage at this moment. They've proven they can get the job done during a global pandemic. Companies can't run without them. And if these employers don't give people the money and flexibility they want, they won't be able to hire enough workers to keep growing. Barry Honig is one of about 2 million people in the world with retinitis pigmentosa. This is an eye disease that causes blindness. He was diagnosed 40 years ago, and over the decades, his vision has gotten progressively worse. But after going through an experimental therapy, Barry now says he can distinguish certain shapes and even tell when the sun is out. Barry is the subject of recent research into gene therapy. The Wall Street Journal sums this up. The way it works is these researchers injected Barry with a gene that boosts the light sensitivity of certain eye cells— They also developed these high-tech goggles that amplify light. So those goggles, together with the boosted cells, can help the brain to partially restore vision. Gene therapy has been used to treat blindness before, but because it had to be specifically tailored to different gene mutations, it's expensive and pretty difficult to pull off. What's different about this new type of therapy is that it can be used for a broad group of patients. One researcher says the therapy is gene-agnostic, Researchers are hoping it can even be used as a treatment for macular degeneration, which affects up to 11 million people in the U.S. Now, to be clear, this is not a way to perfectly restore vision. These scientists say the people who got this treatment can't drive or recognize faces. But Barry says he's noticed improvements in his vision, even when he's not wearing the special goggles. He told the journal it's like spending a long time in a dark tunnel, and all of a sudden, You're back out in the light. It takes a little while to adjust. One of the largest fossil discoveries in California's history happened thanks to a combination of sharp eyes and pure luck. It started when a ranger was on routine patrol in the Sierra Nevada foothills. He spotted what he thought was a funny-looking rock, but it turns out it was actually a petrified tree. He looked closer and found a whole grove of these petrified trees in the ground. Soon, he realized the entire area is littered with bone fragments. So he brought a geology professor back with him to the site, and the professor was amazed at how many different animal fossils were there. They were looking at a sort of prehistoric zoo. That lucky find happened last summer, and since then, waves of scientists have flocked to the area, digging up the bones of creatures who came after the dinosaurs, but millions of years before humans. And they're finding some really wild stuff. There are bones of horses that look like they had three toes. 
There are these giant camels that had super long necks like giraffes. They even found the skull of a mastodon, complete with its tusks. Scientists now think the area used to be a vast grazing land. It seems to have been a place where animals came to eat the grass, and then other animals came to eat them. Researchers found teeth marks in the bones. Now scientists are digging further. They're looking for predators, and they're trying to find the remains of bear dogs. Yeah, I said bear dog. This animal was a fearsome hunter that grew to be about eight feet long. And researchers still have a lot of questions, like what happened to all the animals that were gathered in this one spot? How did they die? It could take years to find some answers. And in the meantime, researchers put together a virtual tour of this site. You can find a link in the Guardian article, which, as always, is on our show notes page. And while you're in the Apple News app, check out some of our audio stories. We'll talk with you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.